Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, the Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Will Eglin on the program. Will is the CEO and president of Lexington Realty Trust, ticker symbol LXP. Lexington is a REIT, which stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. REITs are, for the most part, companies that own real estate assets and are afforded certain tax advantages, similar to MLPs. Owning shares of a REIT essentially allows an investor to own a partial interest in real estate assets or a portfolio of assets. And REITs pay reasonable, if not really juicy, dividends. I think the best way to characterize Lexington is that it's a REIT in transition. Lexington's management team made the decision to shift the company's focus away from owning office real estate assets to industrial real estate assets. Now, this decision was, well, I don't know exactly when it was made, but they started executing on this strategy earlier this year, and they've already sold a portion of their portfolio for a really nice price. So the company has a lot of cash on the balance sheet. And for that reason, it's really exciting to have Lexington management on the program to talk about the steps they're taking to prepare the company for the future. Lexington has a market cap of roughly $2 billion. And as of 3Q18, LXP has close to $400 million in cash on the balance sheet. Total debt equates to about $1.7 billion and the enterprise value is about $3.4 billion. Lexington's management and the board haven't publicly stated what the dividend will be once the company has completed or at least completely executed on its transition towards a nearly pure play industrial REIT, but street estimates for next year's dividend put the yield at, well, just over 5%. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Lexington Realty Trust's CEO, Will Eglin. Thank you very much for joining the program. It's going to be a real pleasure talking about your business. Great. Thank you, Nate. It's a pleasure to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's my pleasure. So the way that I start off all these interviews is just asking about the person that I'm interviewing. So if you wouldn't mind just providing a little bit of background, your history at Lexington, anything you'd like to share with, with the listeners. Sure. Well, it dates back to May 1987, actually, when I started working at my first job in, in New York City. And uh, I worked for a private real estate partnership called LaPert Capital Partners and uh, was hired as an associate in the acquisition group. And my job was to underwrite and value single tenant net lease opportunities across many different asset types uh, all in the U.S. And LaPert was a sponsor of... Um, partnerships and raise money through uh, Shearson and Hutton in those days. Um, so for the first few years of my career, I was in the acquisition group. Then we hit the terrible real estate depression that started in the U.S. in, in about 1990 or so. Uh, and for the next few years after that, I did a lot of asset management work, uh, lease restructurings, uh, even tenant workout, uh, forestry financing, sales, all kinds of things. And then uh, as the sort of modern REIT era dawned in 1991, 1992, we had the idea that we would 
take a couple of our larger partnerships public and merge them together and, and list them as a REIT, which was uh, uh, accomplished in October 1993. And we called the company Lexington Corporate Properties Trust. And that was an interesting opportunity for me because I was only 29 years old. And so I had the opportunity really at the beginning of the modern REIT era to learn how to run a public company. So that was a, a great opportunity for me. Uh, the company had a couple of hundred million dollars of, of assets uh, at the time and has grown substantially. And I guess for me, the experience in the, in the real estate recession of having to do everything I think positioned me well uh, in the in the context of of uh, having a public company. Yeah, you you mentioned the modern REIT era. So uh, you probably know this. I, I didn't cover REITs when uh, I was on the buy side, so I'm, I, I would be interested to hear just sort of a a brief history of, about REITs. They so the structure essentially came into being in the '90s, or was there a pre-modern sort of REIT era that that had a different structure? No, REITs had existed for a long time, but the the real estate. Depression really in the early 1990s created a situation where there are a lot of very fine real estate companies that needed to be recapitalized. And so there was an opportunity in, in the public markets to provide capital for many of those, those companies. And REITs seemed to be a natural successor to partnership investments, um, which had sort of, uh, I think, fallen out of favor with investors for, for a number of reasons. And from a public investor standpoint, the opportunity to invest in you know very very good real estate franchises with uh, excellent management and liquidity was one of the driving forces in, in creating that opportunity in that sort of 1992 1993 time frame. So yeah, so if you think about it in the context of our history, we listed in October 1993 with about 200 million dollars of assets, and 25 years later, we're over a four billion dollar company. So. Uh, it's been a good opportunity to grow, but there've been a lot of strategic changes over the years too. You know, we when we started, uh, we were a diversified net lease re- with uh, a lot of our revenue, about forty percent, coming from retail properties. And we made the shift out of retail over many years and focused specifically on office and industrial assets. And now, more recently, we've decided to just focus on industrial and move toward a pure play on single tenant net lease industrial. Uh, we've actually been in the industrial business for many years. In fact, one of the first properties I worked on, honestly, in 1987, we still have in our portfolio and has cash flowed continually for 31 years. So it, it's been an interesting time to reflect on you know, the history and, and all the things that we've accomplished. Yeah. And I would love to get into the recent strategic change, but I, I would be really curious to know what you saw in the retail real estate business that you know, sort of influenced your decision to get out of retail? Well, there were a couple of things. Um, When you think in the context of long-term single-tenant net lease buildings, the longer the lease, the the greater the component of your return comes from the rent in the lease. So what, what we liked about retail was that there was always an opportunity to make retail investments, generally in the sale leaseback area, to provide retailers with growth capital. And what was good about that is you typically would get a 20 or 25 year lease term. On the flip side of that, many retailers didn't survive 20 or 25 years to to pay all all the rent. So it was very, very important to pick uh, the proper locations 
So one of the things that we noticed was that retailers often overbuilt the number of stores that they had, and sometimes for uneconomic reasons. You know, so when you had a tenant go bankrupt or reorganize, often the first thing they did was close many of the stores that they probably shouldn't have built in the first place. And so we found that um, a very challenging aspect of investing in single tenant, at least real estate. And our other observation was um, sort of in the late 1990s, we decided to get out of retail almost entirely. And at that time, I think the selling space per capita in the U.S. was about um, 23 uh, square feet per person. Um, that seemed very heavy in relation to other advanced economies. Uh, you know, more recently, I think it's increased to as much as, as 48 square feet. And um, in the context of the growth of e-commerce, you know, which influences the retail landscape so much, it took us a long time to, to feel like we made the right decision to get out of retail. But, you know, recently it, it sure has proven to be a good choice. Yeah, yeah. So could you describe your current asset portfolio? What do you currently own? Well, right now, a little bit over 60% of our NOI comes from uh, industrial. And that's a big shift for us. The beginning of the year was about 44%. Um, about two-thirds of our industrial portfolio is warehouse and distribution. Uh, but we also have exposure to things like manufacturing and cold storage. Uh, most of the balance of the portfolio is in single-tenant office, uh, which we continue to uh, exit as an asset class. And we've been, uh, this year, we've closed on close to a billion dollars of dispositions and, and created a lot of liquidity to continue transforming our portfolio towards single-tenant industrial. So it's, it's really a decision to, to exit one asset class and focus all of our resources on the other asset class that we've been invested in, and which is one that we've been uh, involved in for many, many years and, and is a core competency. Yeah. And so what are you seeing in the office real estate business that has, well, similar to what happened in, in retail, that has influenced your decision to change the strategy? Is there is there a shift change in, in office real estate today, or is it just a decision to... Well, yeah, so much has changed over the last you know ten or fifteen years. Single-tenant office and single-tenant industrial used to change to used to trade at comparable cap rates, and now single-tenant office is often an eight or nine percent cap rate asset, and industrial is five or six. So it's, it's very hard to have those two asset classes together in in a public company context. And the things that have influenced office over the last fifteen years have been you know there's obviously been humongous. Uh, technological change uh, that's made office use. It's, it's just changed the nature of how companies office their people. Globalization has had an impact on office employment in the U.S. And in the wake of the financial crisis, many tenants in the U.S. looked at improving their efficiency in terms of how they house their workers, uh, which has resulted in a lot of corporate downsizing and substantially less demand from our, our large corporate tenants. So those have been you know, very dramatic changes in the office landscape. And, and given how quickly technology is changing, it's very difficult to forecast you know, sort of 15 or 20 years ahead uh, in terms of how you know, U.S. corporations are going, going to house their workers. Uh, so there's been a lot of change, and it, it isn't that single-tenant office can't be a high-return asset class. We've just um, always insisted on having 15- or 20-year leases where there's so much return in the lease that, that there's enough compensation for the residual value risk at the end. It's just difficult in the public company context 
As the lease term burns off and you're heading toward that moment of full or empty risk with a big asset, uh, that's been, been tricky to manage. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, visit the website at thestockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes. So go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.